truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in here today on Blaze TV, radio and podcast, live and on demand. I'm Steve Dace. Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre are here as well. 888-900-3393 is the number to the blaze, 888-900-3393, steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. We have a jam-packed show coming your way today. Uh, Top of next hour, one of our favorite foreign policy guests, Ryan Morrow, will be joining us to discuss the Kurd situation in Syria, as now now you're getting some of the president's prominent evangelical supporters are coming out now. And being critical. I mean, other than Pat Robertson, there's other people, you know, that uh, other than that. Okay. So we'll get into that situation. Also some fake news or not at the bottom of the hour. Spoiler warning. We will be discussing for pop culture Tuesday. uh, What I think this movie is a worldview smorgasbord and I'm talking about Joker. All three of us have seen it. We will get into it here at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of those zany hijinks, first, Aaron, with the rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by If Turkey Does Anything That I and My Great and Unmatched Wisdom Consider To Be Off Limits, I Will Totally Destroy and Obliterate the Economy of Turkey. I've done before. Trump seems to be taking criticism of his plans to leave northern Syria to the hands of the Turks pretty well. This comes after a myriad of messages condemning the White House's plans in Syria. Nikki Haley says, quote, We must always have the backs of our allies if we expect them to have our back. The Kurds were instrumental in our successful fight against ISIS in Syria. Leaving them to die is a big mistake. Hashtag Turkey is not our friend, end quote. Pat Robertson says, And I believe, and I want to say this with great uh, solemnity, the president of the United States is in danger of losing the mandate of heaven. If he permits this to happen. And all the usual characters are pretty concerned about the whole abandoning your allies thing. Moving on, surging Democratic presidential hopeful Elizabeth Warren is facing some questions about her oft-repeated story regarding her firing from a teaching job because she was pregnant. I was visibly 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 pregnant. And the principal did what principals did in those days. And the principal did what principals did in those days. Wished me luck and hired someone else for the job. Wished me luck and hired someone else for the job. Wished me luck and hired someone else for the job. He wished me luck and hired someone else for the job. Wished me luck and hired someone else for the job. But now a new report from the Washington Free Beacon contradicts those claims. The report says, quote, minutes of an April 21st, 1971 Riverdale Board of Education meeting obtained by the Washington Free Beacon show that the board voted unanimously on a motion to extend Warren a second year contract for a two days per week teaching job. That job is similar to the one she held the previous year, her first year of teaching, end quote. New York Magazine headline, The Emerging Anybody What Warren Campaign. (laughs) 
In other news, the NBA continues to be on the butt end of everybody and their mother's criticism. This time, the Golden State Social Justice Warriors head coach Steve Kerr, not normally one to shrink away from criticizing things and stuff, was asked about the NBA's recent statement siding with communist China over the Hong Kong protesters. It's a really bizarre international story, and uh, a lot of us are, you know, don't know what to make of it. So um, it's, it's something I'm reading about, and, uh, just like everybody is, but I'm not going to comment further. NBA superstar James Harden actually personally apologized to China. Yeah, we apologize. Um, you know, you know, we love China. We love you know playing there. Speaking of China, it recently banned anything and everything related to the Comedy Central cartoon South Park after a recent episode of the program made fun of the country and its government. In response, the creators of South Park, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, issued an apology. Quote, like the NBA, we welcome the Chinese censors into our homes and into our hearts. We too love money more than freedom and democracy. She doesn't look just like Winnie the Pooh at all. Tune in to our 300th episode this Wednesday at 10. Long live the great Communist Party of China. May this autumn sorghum harvest be bountiful. We good now, China? End quote. Across the pond, climate cultists in London have been dialing things up to 11. What's your name? I'm just a father of two children that's very frightened of their future. How old are your children? They're um, 10 months and 4 years. Okay. Yeah. No. Okay, picture. Those are the pictures of your children? Yeah. <laughs> In Canada, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau continues to face backlash for blackface from his leftist supporters. Have you reached out to any African leaders or any leaders from the Middle East to apologize for your conduct? Canada will continue to engage in a positive, constructive way around the world. So that didn't answer the question at all. Have you spoken to any African leaders or leaders from the Middle East to apologize for your personal conduct? Uh, I have continued to engage with leaders around the world. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is once more with vigor. Borders are racist. Blackface is not. Una vez más, con vigor. Las fronteras son racistas, la cara negra no lo es. Back stateside, Ulian Castro has a message for Christians. And so I hope that in this country, people who say that they're Jesus-loving, God-loving, that they pay more attention to God-loving, Jesus-loving people on this side of the border with brown skin that are desperate, that are being treated cruelly by this president because he clearly doesn't care about them. We need to change this policy. Ellen DeGeneres trended on Twitter over the weekend after she was spotted at a Dallas Cowboys game just chilling out with former President George W. Bush. And uh, so... People were upset. They thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? Didn't even notice I'm holding the brand new iPhone 11. And, um, <laughs> but a lot of people were mad, and they did what people do when they're mad. They tweet. And, uh, but here's one tweet that I loved. This uh, person says, Ellen and George Bush together makes me have faith in America again. Here's the thing. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's okay that we're all different. And finally, salon goers in Long Island, New York, did not expect their day to go like this. Oh my 
And that's what happened while we were away. That is me first thing in the morning getting caught up on the on the day's news on Twitter pretty much every day. That's me right there. All right? People, the family wakes up, what is wrong? I've read this guy's Twitter account again. My fault. Sorry, my bad. For, for people listening, this is why you need a, a video subscription to the Blaze, Indeed. Blaze TV. Indeed. Uh, Aaron's Montage brought to, you by, brought to you by our friends over at Keeps who know that losing your hair is sucks. That's why they want to do something about it. Uh, and one of the main reasons for hair loss is a hormone called DHT. The FDA has approved two hair treatment products that help control your DHT and prevent hair loss. Uh, and it's even triggered hair regrowth in a good number of guys as well. Now, up until now, these products were expensive, required a doctor's visit, but not anymore. Keeps can offer you the generic versions of those two FDA-approved hair products. So not only are they more than 90% effective, they're totally affordable now. And I can get you half off to get you started. All right. So with Keeps, you can save your hair without ever leaving your couch. Just answer a few questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you. And then it's shipped discreetly to your door. So if you're tired of you of losing your hair, all right, I got you a free online doctor consult and 50% off of your first order. So a free online doctor consult and half off your first order right now at keeps.com slash grow. Keeps.com slash grow 50% off your first order right now at keeps.com slash grow. We're going to get into the Elizabeth Warren situation in our overtime today. If you are a Blaze TV subscriber, that'll be posted later today. I get asked almost every day, by the way, where, uh, hey, I'm a Blaze TV subscriber. How do I get the overtime? Aaron, is it not on the same page as everything else? It's on the same page as everything else. I think people uh, maybe sometimes think it's live. It's not gotcha. live. It's a post. It, we do what, what's called post-production. We yeah. record it, and then it's up a little bit later. And because of how short it is, uh, it's usually up well before the main show yes. is. So it's a little bit of an appetizer, an exclusive appetizer for those of you who like to watch or listen to the main show later. But it is not live. It's just on the blazetv.com slash dace page. You'll be able to watch that anytime you want to. It's up there typically about an hour and a half to two hours after the main show is over. Now, maybe the app works differently. I've never used the app, so I don't I don't know. But uh, but yeah, it's on the same page on, on blazetv.com uh, slash dace is everything else that we do as well. So if you're not yet a subscriber to Blaze TV and you want to watch today's overtime as well as all of the exclusive uh, content we do each day, the whole team here at Blaze TV. BlazeTV.com slash Dace is how you'll get a reduced subscription with my name as the promo code. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. All right, let's get to what's in the montage today. Uh, we're going to save further conversation on what's happening with the, with in Syria with the Kurds. Uh, we're going to save further conversation with our friend Ryan Morrow when he joins us here at the at the top of hour two. Um, what, what the NBA has said in the last 48 hours, when you, when you boil it all down and I mean, what a gutless twerp Steve Kerr is. And I've given him an immense amount of rope because his life story is, and I don't know how many of you know his life story. His, his father was murdered, uh, in Beirut. He was a, I believe a professor at American, the American university there when um when lebanon was overrun in the early 80s and i believe his father was murdered there uh and and so in in light of that 
you know, I've, I've, I've tried to give him an immense amount of rope. That's why I haven't really talked that much about, as Aaron called it, the, the Golden State Social Justice Warriors. Not to mention, you know, I, I know a Christian film that a lot of people liked earlier this year, and I can't remember the name of it, about the, the kid who falls in the ice and is miraculously healed. You guys remember that movie? Yeah. Okay. You, get, you know which one I'm talking about? I do. I can't remember I can't remember what it's called, yeah. but it, it made fairly good money at the box office. Do you know who essentially bankrolled that movie? Is, um, um, oh my gosh. I'm not in basketball mode yet. Star player for the Warriors. Who am I thinking of? Oh, Steph Curry. Steph Curry. He basically bankrolled that movie. You know, so it's a little... People are more complicated than formulas until they, they stop being complicated. And now with Steve Kerr, what you're just running into is just... He's just, a, he, he's just, a, he's just an intellectually dishonest twerp, and I hate saying that, but I'm, that's what you're dealing with. I mean, the, the idea that he doesn't know... You really believe... He has no idea about what's happening in Hong Kong. You really believe he has no idea? It's a really the, bizarre the, international situation. Yeah, with the with the Chinese regime has done. I mean, in its first four years under Chairman Mao, it killed about forty million of its own citizens. Just its first four years, and we're not even talking about the math of the one child policy. So, how many of its citizens has it murdered before they were even born? And this regime has enslaved and um, imprisoned millions for decades. Of course he is aware of this. He's a highly educated individual. He's just being intellectually dishonest. In fact, this entire thing, woke culture in and of itself is intellectually dishonest. It's really loser culture. And like everything else with progressivism, what it's really about is power. Whatever I can use to obtain power over you or for what, I, for what I believe is the superior belief system is fine. So, for example, I you know the NBA is essentially telling you that it has far greater hostility towards efforts by the state of North Carolina to keep twerps out, or I'm sorry, creeps out of the women's restrooms. Far greater hostility for the president of the United States that I, we can't go visit him when we win championships. And I haven't even been critical of that. You know, we, we've talked about it, but you haven't really heard me go off on that because I could certainly envision on the current course the culture is on the country electing a president that I'd be totally fine if you viewed yourself not morally wanting to go and shake his hand. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I, I, maybe I'm different. I, I don't really think that would, I, you know, we had the whole kneel controversy with the NFL. I never said the players couldn't kneel. My, my argument with that was the idea that you get to get your, give your say Remember, we had these conversations. The idea that you can give your protest, but then we can't comment on it. No, I'm not. That I won't go along with. You want to you do your mind-numbed protest, you're welcome to. I don't, you know, I'm not offended by it. I could certainly see this country, uh, at, you know, at, at turning on my belief system that I ain't standing for its anthem either. It's just a song if it's going to abandon the, value, the, the values that's behind it. I, I don't really get into the whole nostalgia thing. That doesn't do anything for me. I'm fine with tradition. I'm probably more fine than the average evangelical is with it, actually. But but I but the nostalgia thing, you know, I just nah. I, I'm going to do a hard pass. You know, if you if you abandon all the meaning of, that's behind a symbol, then it's just a clanging symbol. It's not a symbol of any meaning whatsoever. Are you okay with that? Or you disagree? No, I'm totally with it, and I think it's all the more, or torp is a good word because 
he, he's not afraid to bring it yeah. regarding Trump. You know, he he's really snotty, and again, disagree with him. But and then all, but now all the cities are shrinking violent now. All, all the he's just yeah. a flat out pajama wearing cultist here. He, yeah. Suddenly, he's Bill Belichick. I I don't really know yeah, anything it's just, about it's this. Clearly, intellectually dishonest. Yeah. And it, and it just goes to show what they what people like him really think about people like you. That that I get to engage you when it's to my benefit, and and it's very one sided. But I don't have to. I don't have to. I don't have to cover my backside at all. I don't have to give. You're you're beneath the dignity of an intellectually coherent argument, which is, by the way, the entire basis of political correctness from the very beginning. I just label that which I'm against, which I don't agree with, is racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, and bigoted, and therefore you're demeaned and no longer requiring of a response. And that was that level of arrogance, right there from Steve Kerr. Visiting the White House is 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 more is 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 morally offensive, but the enslavement and murder of millions by the Shycoms is not. And you know what's really ironic about this too is the position that this passive aggressive position on the NBA on on China that the NBA community is trying to take. I said this yesterday is essentially the exact same position Donald Trump is taking. The same guy they hate has the same position on China that they do. <laughs> All right, which is well, you know, if we can get a deal, I'll keep quiet about this Hong Kong thing. Isn't that the NBA's position? Hey, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a burgeoning market for the for basketball, you know, and we'll you know we'll completely keep quiet in this Hong Kong thing, provided we can continue to get access to that market. Right? That's yeah, the same argument. It is. I mean, the, the guy they hate in the White House has the same view on China that they have. The exact same one on on, on the China Hong Kong thing, anyway. The exact same one. And it just goes to show you, it's not that they disagree with you. That's giving them too much credit. They think they're better than you. So they don't even have to think through why, why we disagree. They don't even have to think through their own positions and carry them to their most logical conclusions. They're just superior to you. They're just better. The sneering condescension. Could you just sense it? Yeah. You see, that, was, that wasn't even a good Bill Belichick. It wasn't even a good one. It's the, there's, a, there's a sneering condescension there. Well, I can do sneering condescension too. Shut up and dribble. Nobody cares. Shut up and dribble. You guys suck at this. And it also goes to show why we, we, we shouldn't you know, I get why we do it in my industry. It's good clickbait. What I don't get is why people like you out there in the gen pop on the other side of this camera, why you care and react so much to what these people say. It has no bearing on anything. None. It impacts really nothing. And I don't, I don't understand why there's so much, so much obsession with celebrity woke culture. Do you know why? I don't, I don't, I don't really know why. Well, it's. I mean, from our side, why, why, why do we care? Oh well, that's for the. My goodness, we we invited Milo to CPAC for God's sakes. It's I mean, the clingy. I, I you know I, I yeah. because it's it's just. Are you saying a certain jealousy? Why don't we have a, a you know we we want we want celebrity uh, famous celebrity conservatives to like and be pro America. No, that's how do we define relevance. We don't. We, 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 this are, there's certain tides we can't beat. We need to go with. Well, let me tell you, here's how you define relevance. You punked the likes of the NBA and Steve Kerr. All right? I mean, you punked them. 
You won the argument. You pointed out it's, it's full of sound and fury signifying nothing. There's no there there. It's just, it's just, it's brainless. It's mindless. There's no there there. Move on. Pick on something that's actually a threat to your way of life. This isn't. Um, I love what the guys over at South Park have done. Proving yet again, one of our axioms here on the show, if it's funny, you can be vicious. And I think this is a, this is a tactic that we need to adopt more often. Humor is, is, is a powerful weapon. It's the, it's, you know, you, you see it with the growth of sites like the Babylon Bee. All right. Humor is a powerful weapon. If you can make fun of this stuff. If you can pull their pants down. I mean, this is not new. Even in medieval times, when you lived in fear of the lords and vassals of the manor or, you, you know, the king's court, there was always a jester that got away with this. If it was funny, he got a certain more latitude. Now, you had to make sure you couldn't push it too far, like in that Bud Light commercial, right? You can maybe ask a couple of times, all right, for, for something. But eventually, if you tick the king off, you know, you're, you're in the stockade or the, or the gallows as well. But, but if, you, if you were the court jester, if you made it funny, then you got a little bit more latitude, right? Uh, than, than the average person there uh, in the, in, within the realm. But, but more of that. And what I'd love to see now is that level of humor targeted at the NBA, specifically. Because that's when you'll really sting them. Uh, you, you, listen, you want to you wanna sting somebody. I, I know a little bit about this. I grew up in an environment like this. You want to really sting the person who thinks they're superior to you? Stop taking them seriously. Laugh at them. Con, I'm laughing at the superior intellect. Just laugh at these morons. Don't, don't engage. Return condescension for condescension. I'm just... I can't take you seriously. All right. You can scream, you can yell, cuss, fist. Um, you're, you know, I don't, I don't take you seriously. That crushes people like this because the reason that they're like this is they take themselves way too seriously, way too seriously. Gentlemen, you have any thoughts on that? It's, <laughs> In each individual case, you're absolutely right. The issue for us as a movement to the degree we have one or want one becomes when, when issue after issue after issue is a bunch of people who take themselves way too seriously. That's just the water we swim in these days. So it begs the question, and this is, you've said it on the air, we talk about it off the air, how, how do we do this show? Because the, the existential weight of people who take themselves way too seriously and thus are grotesque hypocrites over and over and over. It, it makes it very, very challenging to find a, uh, a culture that can survive long-term. You know, I, it's, it's what, what's left after we go after every issue, after every, where, where is the solid food? Where, where is, okay, we took care of this person, 
that somebody's going to learn their lesson. I just think it's fascinating in context. I have in my mind what is what we're going to talk about next with the Joker, which I find this infinitely more insane, what we're talking about, than that movie. Mm-hmm. To me, I think a great way of going back at these guys is, Aaron, go out and buy shutupanddribble.com. Shut up and dribble. And, and what you do, and it's not, there's no, no, no commentary at all. Not, we're not we're not we're not going to dignify this with any form of a clarification or response. We're just gonna we're just gonna show how stupid it is for itself. Okay, headlines: uh, No racist graffiti found at LeBron James's house. Okay, headline: NBA thinks uh, the president of the United States and uh, potential rapist in women's bathrooms are worse than uh, Chinese enslavers. Stuff like that. That's it. I mean, that, that, but but you, essentially, it is a Babylon B tactic. But you do it on you, the website is shutupanddribble.com, and you just nut punch these guys over and over and over and over again. You ridicule them because the reason they think they do this and they get away with it is this notion that they're better than everybody else there, and that's what you have to attack is that facade. Yeah. And I'll, I'll answer the question, and I think we already know the, the, the answer to the question that you posed. I don't know why people um, engage with folks like this and try to push back too much, because it's, it's dueling, it's dueling um, fanatics. That's, that's what this all comes down to. And I, I kind of liken it to th- this behavior to um, a, a really great uh, defensive point guard for Ohio State uh, University a few years ago, Aaron Kraft. I yeah. think that was his name. Yeah. If you played against him, you freaking hated that guy. You hated that guy. And even when you were watching him play other teams, not your own team, you hated him as well because he was so good and he wasn't on your team. Now, if he was on your team, though, he'd be the best player ever, be the best uh, sport ever, what, uh, what have you. And it's, I think, somewhat of that same instinct is why we try to engage with these people all the time. We hate them because they're, uh, I don't know, good at what they do, but they're playing for the other team. That's kind of the instinct. It's the dueling fanatic. You're absolutely right, though. In a macro sense, if this is more than just red versus blue, if this is really about a worldview argument, then the people, those people who are the leftist of the left of the left, um, they're really in the minority. Why would you ever take them seriously? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what you have to do. I mean, that you have to. Um, I mean, you you have to look down upon them. Um, and uh, whether that means just not commenting at all and shirking it off, then that's what you have to do. But uh, yeah, um, shut up and dribble dot com. I'll see if that's uh, I'll see if that's available. See, they 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 score points by pestering people like us. Exactly. That's 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 their trophy. And, and so, you know, there used to be an old saying, the best revenge is living well. You need to show that these people are, you know, you got to look at that guy on the ground. Dude, get up, loser. Just get up. I mean, seriously, just, just come on. Get up. Get up off the ground. Not sit there and argue with him about climate tables. Just, just get your ass off the ground and go home to your kids. And just walk away. I mean, why take seriously things that are not serious? You look like you want to say something. Well, it's, that's, that's the paradox. Because they're legion. That guy was real. He should be a skit. He's real. Exactly. And he, well, he's everywhere. 
you can still be a minority in some sense and still be everywhere. Yeah. And if you just flat out ignore that, like I think many people have in the past, by by saying, oh, that's a joke. Well, the joke is increasingly always on us, transgender bathrooms, etc. So you you have to go to war with the absurd on some level. You It, it, it can't be ignored, but it also can't be taken in seriously at the same there is a paradox involved in this it must be defeated otherwise it's a level of chaos that increasingly is winning but it's, it does seem like the best military tactic to do it is to m- mercilessly mock mercilessly it. mock it it's what you cited about a week or two ago it's the scene in the in 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 the dark night where lucius fox goes up to that guy and says yes. let me get this straight yes so you're convinced your boss one of the most richest and powerful men in the world is spending his nights beating up this city's hard, hardened thugs with his bare hands, and your strategy is to try to blackmail that person. Good luck, right? He won the moment, but he didn't ignore the moment. Yes, but th- but didn't take this. You didn't take this seriously it, it, on any level. Exactly. All right, we'll come back. We're going to get to the Joker movie. Spoiler warning if you haven't seen it yet for Pop Culture Tuesday. You may want to skip out for a few minutes and uh, see us next hour. Otherwise, you have been warned. Next. If you're struggling to meet your weight loss goals, you're having a hard time getting those portion sizes, those cravings under control, give Riduzone a shot. You know, there's a signal that's supposed to go from your belly to your brain called OEA. It's a molecule that lets the brain know when the belly is full. But if you go a long time with ignoring it, it's a little bit like trying to work out after being inactive for a long period of time as well. All that muscle memory and everything is gone. You kind of have to start over from scratch right? Well, the good thing about Riduzone is it wants to help you do that the right way. All it is is OEA. It boosts the OEA in the body by adding OEA to the body. That's why it's FDA accepted, vegan-friendly, gluten-free. It's not loaded with chemicals, additives, preservatives, uh, stimulants, caffeine. It's just OEA to send a stronger signal to your brain, hey, we're good. We don't need to keep eating. Help us now metabolically from here. If you want to give this a shot, it takes about 90 days when you're making a lifestyle change for that hard wiring to kind of get rewired there internally. That's why we're offering you right now a special on a three-month supply, so about 90 days. Use my name, Steve. As a promo code, they'll give you 30% off of a three-month supply of Riduzone at Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for Riduzone.com. You know, one last thing on the die-in, dude. And the, uh, you know, again, this goes back to what we said last week. The reason why, and we still are just taking the Lyndon LaRouche group's word for it, okay? Which I wouldn't suggest doing ever. But for now, but for the sake of this argument, we'll do that, okay? That they're the ones, they, this, that they planted this person at the Ocasio-Cortez event. If you're doing that kind of a die-in, with, complete with uh, visual effects, blood splattering. What I mean, apparently climate change is uh, is is a machine gun now. Okay, if if you're doing that, are you? How far away are you really from saying eat the babies? Really, you're there. You're you're you're. If you're not, man, you're at least calling for a fair catch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, that's why that was so believable because we all know that's ultimately where this cult is going. Now, when you talk about taking things to their most logical conclusion, that is our segue 
to this week's Pop Culture Tuesday. We look at the intersection between what's happening in pop culture and conservatism. And this week, we've got to focus on the number one movie in the world right now. And that's the Joker movie. And we can discuss it. All three of us have seen it. So spoiler warning. We're going we're gonna to try to do this as best we can, you know, without spoiling too much of the story. Although uh, you're going to know most of it. This is the origin of one of the iconic, a potential origin of one of the more iconic villains in American pop culture history. Okay. So we can discuss this from, you know, if you, if you guys choose to, from how, for how, just, you know, review the movie from a movie quality standpoint. I want to address the movie from the worldview standpoint. All right. And if you, if you, if you, to me, if you simply substitute a young Robert De Niro for an older Joaquin Phoenix, this is, this is if Taxi Driver was a comic book movie. You, you were really watching, I mean, even the scenes in the mirror, the Joker does everything other than you talking to me. I mean, it, it's very reminiscent of Taxi Driver. And so it's kind of serendipitous that Robert De Niro has, a, has a, an important supporting role in the film. Um, you, I, I think you watch a very compelling deconstruction of a human soul. And what you watch is what happens when untreated mental illness it is combined with total depravity within human nature. And that's how an agent of chaos is born. And especially when you go into the, in, into the, the, the cultural booyah base that Arthur Fleck is a part of. Uh, Gotham City looks a lot like a pre-Giuliani New York City. It looks a lot like where San Francisco looks like now. A total, it's a total blank hole, except for the elite sectors of the city. Um, in fact, early in the film, the Joker even starts out as a Bernard Getz type. Now, Aaron won't know that reference. You might remember that from mm-hmm. our childhood. He was the subway vigilante in New York. Sure. And, and there was some, it, it seemed like it was only black kids he was shooting because, and he claimed, well, they were the ones doing most of the crime on the subway. And, and so there was a big divide at the time. Was he some kind of a, is he a vigilante or is he, you know, uh, is, is he the George Zimmerman of 1985? Mm-hmm. You know, th- those were a lot of the stories back then. That's that's how Arthur Fleck begins, except um, he begins that way, not necessarily because he's making some kind of eat the rich statement. He just thinks the guys are douchebags and they're there. Why not? Okay. And 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 there's there's other things in here as well. You've got a, a, a government that cannot meet the people's needs. Now, what's fascinating is, do you know every institution is essentially addressed in this film, except one. Which one is never addressed? Did you guys pick up on this? It's like there aren't any churches in Gotham yeah, City. Yeah, it's not a single church in the whole town. Okay, and so you run into the the Wall Street community. Basically, you run into the 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 government institutions, the law enforcement institutions, the medical system. Every every aspect that of, of what is supposed to keep the family unit, everything that is supposed to keep order in a culture, is represented as systemically failing the people of Gotham. One institution, and I mean, it's not even like referenced. I mean, not even casually. There's not, he doesn't even like walk by a church. It's like there's not, the church does not exist in this universe. Um, you have a group of elites who care to claim about the downtrodden, but are really just using them for their own devices to get power. Uh, and and um, it, while they pursue outcomes that are bad for the downtrodden at the exact same time, does any of this sound familiar at all? And and so now you drop somebody with with untreated mental illness. He top, stops taking his meds 
halfway through the film. And, and now you throw in total depravity and you drop him as a, Molo, as a human Molotov cocktail into this. And what you get uh, is, is where the film, I think, really soars is in its third act. Because it takes this to its most logical conclusion. And it, this movie is not for everybody. It's not as violent as you are being led to believe. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it, it has some very disturbing violence at the end of the film, though. But most of this film is not as violent as you are being led to believe. All right? Um, but what, here's what I... Here's, and now I can see why there's a lot of debate within the left about this movie. Because what this movie does show is nihilism for real. That ultimate, that, like you go back to the, the Rodney King riots. Maybe for the first hour, folks were really rioting over a, 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 a perceived injustice. But is that, is that waged on all night long and into day two and day three? How much, you know what it really became about? Free TVs, man. And I think the best line in this film, and Joaquin Phoenix, I think, delivers it perfectly, is when he appears on their version, on this universe's version of The Tonight Show, the show hosted by Robert De Niro. And he asks him about why he's doing all of this. Is this a protest? You're trying to make some kind of political statement? And he says, I don't believe in anything. It is more of what we speculated on Friday that maybe it was Thursday we had the conversation. I can't remember. But this film is much more about showing nihilism to its most logical conclusion. And there's no winks and nods like you get in a Grand Theft Auto video game or a lot of the anti-hero stuff that we're fed nowadays. No, this is this is all the way all the way and that's what i love about the film it's not quite as well made as i anticipated it was going to be um the rest of the characters i don't think are really well written i I didn't care about any of them his performance is is the film it's it's standalone it's what carries the movie um and makes the movie as powerful as it is in my view. Because what I, and, and I think it's probably going to be on my top 10 list at the end of the year. And the reason being is somebody finally had the courage to truly go there and show what the end result of a lot of what's speculated about on Twitter and a bunch of these, you know, white kid, spoiled white kid losers in Antifa with their dumb masks. What, you know, this is really ultimately where this all leads. So let's, let's stop kidding ourselves. Let's, let's be adults and let's get busy living or get busy dying and jump right to the end game here. This is the end game of what your postmodern deconstruction of a society really looks like. I have no idea if Todd Phillips intended that, just like I have no idea if Sally Jenkins intended to make the, 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 biblically, the biblical worldview parallels that she drew in Wonder Woman. I, I don't know those individuals. I can't speak to their motivations. I can only speak to what is in the movie. This is the movie. This is what it does. 
And I can see why, after initially loving it, more and more lefty critics have have thought, well, I got to get a T.O., baby. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, maybe there's some Trumpian parallels to Thomas Wayne, okay, but, you know, it's kind of lightly touched on in the film, and he's in it for like six minutes maybe total, right? Would you say that character is? Yeah. He's in the trailer maybe more than, and the trailer is more, more often than he's in this movie, okay? This is, uh, uh, maybe this isn't quite the uh, Bernie Sanders campaign uh, commercial we thought we were getting here. So those are my thoughts. Todd, yours. I think it was a really good film that also wasn't nearly as uh, violent or, or even, I mean, it's a, it's a dark film, but I kind of went, I went late, late last night. It's the only time I could work it in and I kind of had it, you know, all right, forces of darkness, uh, get me through this guy. I mean, it was, it's a movie about a, a man who goes insane, but for all of the predictable reasons. See, I don't, I don't think his mission was to show us ultimately um, something grandly existential. I think he got us there, but I think, okay, I think he started with, okay, how do you go insane? How do you go this insane? And it happens through a lot of people in a lot of different areas, often letting you down and in some very bad ways, including in, you know, his mother and an and absent father, boyfriends who come in, a, sa- a safety net who is who is uh, I- incompetent. Um, you, you talk about the, the rich people that he ends up shooting, but he also just before that uh, gets punked in the streets by some some mm-hmm. poor kids. It's like mm-hmm. everybody is broken in this movie. He says it's, it's brokenness at every single turn and therefore you get this and you don't get like in heath ledger's joker you don't get a, a brilliant turn but a, the the comic book villain in that he's insane but he's also a genius there, there, there's no genius here he's he's hopeless he didn't manipulate anything that happened in this movie except by accident uh he ends up being chased by the cops uh, and, and all hell breaks through, uh, loose on a train and then in the streets but not because he devised it like heath ledger's joker he just kind of keeps tripping into things because he keeps going increasingly insane and he's the the, the people and him just keep riffing on each other in this movie it, it's and that's where the clown masks are so clever and the clown comment from thomas wayne i i have no problem thomas wayne in all the superhero uh, lore is a very benevolent rich person mm-hmm. i have no problem he's not a he's not a bad guy but he's not a great guy either in this movie uh and i think they use him to say, show feet of clay on every single level i i think there's nothing genius about this movie but it's really well crafted it's really well put together i think it's pretty obvious and i think that's what the left really hates they they can't stand the fact that their whole rube goldberg machine is entirely unnecessary this is how bad things happen right here by a lot of people just dropping the ball over and it snowballs and snowballs and snowballs there's not this story's been written a hundred times and i think todd phillips knew i think he knows the left well enough that i i have to kind of bring in robert de niro i've got to make this obvious that this has been written before in the form of taxi driver because you fools keep thinking you're the most original people in the world and look at all the rorschach tests that people i can't i read a lot of the columns before i saw this movie Mm -hmm. i thought they were insane beforehand and now i think they're even more insane how did you go to this movie 
and find this. This is the most obvious movie I've ever watched in my entire life, Steve. I love that review. Aaron, your thoughts? I get the same feeling about this from a worldview perspective and really from an all-encompassing perspective about the film that I did uh, walking out of The Revenant. And The Revenant, incredibly well-made film, uh, two or three hours of just action and, uh, well, not all of it was action. A lot of it was just great cinematography. But I came to myself and I'm like, okay, that's the best movie I've ever watched that I don't want to see again. And it's because I walk out of that thinking, what in the Sam Hill am I supposed to do with that? Like, with, with movies, to me, that are good, they're, they're enriching, there's a good story, maybe there's some good themes around here, uh, around them. With the Joker, it is like, it is like the plot was written by the Joker himself. There's no <laughs> rhyme or reason mm-hmm. about it whatsoever. And if, if the resist signs were not in there, I think that's the reason why lefties... I didn't even mention that. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, I don't yeah. even think the lefties would be that pissed off about it because I think they... I, I think the reason... Well, I don't think they... I, I think the reason they'd be pissed off is that they would have the same reaction. We were. This was supposed to be propaganda for yep. us. Yep. And it was not. Um, and I, I just... Again, I, I'm a little bit different. I'm a little bit different the way I see movies. I don't, I don't go into every. I go into every movie. I want to be entertained. I want there to be a good story that's easy to follow. Okay, I'm simple like that. Sorry, um, but I, this one, it's just there is there's no rhyme or reason for anything, and it is like the Joker. I just do stuff. That's just what this movie was. It was the inside the mind of the Joker. It was not portraying the Joker. It was the mind of of the Joker. There is a difference there because there is nothing there that is an actual uh, semblance of a story. Now, there's different arcs, but there's it's just things happen. And that's about the best thing that I can say. Yeah, you don't even know what's real and what's not. Yes. Actually, you don't even know that at times, particularly in the last act. But I'm glad you brought up the resist card the resist placards at the end of the film because that's too obvious, right? Now I do think he had to have known what he was doing because you could have done, you could have, you could have, you could have done everything I said and lift left out the, the guys with the, the, the clown protesters, the Joker's minions holding resist, you know, uh, signs. You could have left all of that out and kind of left it open to interpretation. So everybody could have seen, and taking their own thing away from it, right? You could have done that. Dropping those in there. They don't know what to do with it because Thomas yeah. Wayne bad. Yeah. And then resist bad too, what? Yeah, so dropping the resist thing in there makes it too obvious, don't you think? Too obvious. I, I don't buy that Todd Phillips doesn't know what resist means. Like I don't buy Steve Kerr doesn't know what's happening in Hong Kong. I don't buy that. Okay? But what do you think he's doing? By putting it in there. That- well, he, there's two options. One is um, he is trolling them. Two is he's just dumb and uh, no, has, hasn't it's- thought things through. What he's, what, you know, it's, no, one, of the, it's one or the other. Do you think, now I have a hard time believing it's number two. No, it's not. It's not. So I think he's trolling them. Yeah. That's what I think he's doing. I do think so. Yeah. I do absolutely. And think I think so. they got the message. 
You know, because because remember the initial the initial lefty critics who loved it were over in Europe when the film was being screened at mm-hmm. film festivals over there. They're not quite they're, as aware. They're not aware of America. They're not up on all the latest American domestic political, you know, social media terminology. Once the film got over here and more American critics, more domestic critics got to look at it, that's when its Rotten Tomato score began to drop. And I wonder if seeing the culmination of the Joker, of of of, of what, what it, whatever it is the Joker represents or is a byproduct of, depending on if, if you have Aaron's perspective or not, if he's the symptom or the disease, whatever it is, whatever malady he is either the cause of or the result from, seeing those who are attempting to emulate him holding resist signs had to have stung those lefties, don't you think? Yeah. Had to, had to have, it cut me deep, Shrek. Oh, that I, had to hit him where it's a I wish we had sensitive. more time because I have more to say. Yeah, I agree. All right, we may come back to this a little bit later on, but we got to discuss with our good friend Ryan Morrow what's happening with Turkey, Syria, and the Kurds. That's next year on the Blaze TV radio and podcast. Greetings, back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace, Totters, and Aaron McIntyre here with me as well. If you are listening to us today via the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us one of those five-star reviews, thank you. The more of those we get, the more likely we are to find more people like you, and the more likely we are to get to continue to do this, which would make all of us happy, or at least those of you that like us. And if you don't like us, really, what are you, what are you doing here? There's like 50 other things you could be doing right now now if you don't like us you know we would never ask you to lie but if you just kind of like us if you would embellish all the more and just go ahead and give us a five-star review anyway we would be very appreciative thousands of you have left the left these for us at various podcast platforms all over the interwebs already thank you very much 888-933-93 is the number to the blaze steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us like us on facebook follow us on twitter at Steve Dace Show. If you are getting those annoying robocalls right now that I'm told I should not be getting because I'm on apparently every do not call list except the one that works. But if you're getting those annoying robocalls right now uh, saying, hey, just you know, enter in uh, this or that from your personal info and you're pre-approved for a HELOC, a second mortgage, uh, you know, a, a refi or um, a credit card, you may think, hey, I'm not worried about it. Um, I'll take a chance because I've got to get identity theft protection in case they're scammers. Hey, if you don't have identity theft protection, you should have it. But what if you you give your information anyway and they can't steal your identity, but now they know some of the ways you identify yourself. And then they go online where a lot of our mortgage notes and our home titles are kept nowadays. This is what the FBI is calling home equity theft or home title fraud. It's one of the big criminal fads of 2019 because it's the most valuable investment most Americans will ever have is their own home. So they go online. They now have your personal information that you use to identify yourself online. They sign in to wherever your home information is kept. They sign in as you and make it look like you sold your home to them. So they liquidate all of that equity that you've earned in your home and your investment. Don't let this happen to you for pennies a day. Our friends at Home Title Lock will put a virtual barrier around your home's title so that it doesn't. In fact, right now, you can get 60 risk-free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. 60 risk-free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. Our good friend Ryan Morrow has been one of our go-to guys when it's come to foreign policy over the years on this show. From the Clarion Project, good to see you, my friend. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. So, Ryan, I want to get your expertise to kind of help us separate fact from fiction in what is happening with uh, the pullout in northern Syria and the, uh, the, the, the agreement with the Turks and what that means for the Kurds. So before I ask any specific questions, your expertise, can you give our audience sort of the, the big picture view of what's happening here? Sure. So uh, basically the big picture view here, and this is based on my background in studying Islamic extremism in the Middle East uh, since I was a teenager, is that the political environment right now, which particularly Trump is operating from, is the idea that non-interventionism as a gut feeling is, is also a policy. That as long as you pull out of these conf- conflicted areas, you save money and the situation has to get better. And if you really have to, you can go back in and you didn't really lose anything. So it's a risk-free proposal. That seems to be the gu- guiding analysis behind this decision to step out of the way so that the Turks can come in and wage war on our Kurdish allies. You use the phrase, our Kurdish allies. Now, the Kurds in Syria are different from the Kurds in Iraq, right? Yeah. So can you explain those differences? I've heard people claim that the Kurds in uh, uh, persecute the Kurds in Syria persecute Christians. They're communists. Uh, they're not really like our Kurdish friends in Iraq that we kind of abandoned them too. We we refuse to let them have a homeland because we're we don't want to offend our great friend Turkey. Uh, but but can you kind of call balls and strikes here? Who are these Kurdish allies in Syria? They're definitely our allies. Now, it's the Middle East, so things are always complex, and it requires a lot of nuance to really grasp. And there is a bit of a rivalry because the Iraqi Kurds who we've worked with are basically part of one political party that has a fair amount of credible accusations against it, as is going to happen with any Middle Eastern entity. And then there's another political party that historically is a bit more Marxist, within Syria, but those are our best allies within Syria. And they are pro-American, um, even though they, they, like all the Kurdish leaders, did have a history during the Cold War of being embraced by the Soviets. And that's a lot, a lot of that is because when you're a persecuted minority that doesn't have your own country like that, you do become somewhat subservient to whoever is willing to rescue you and provide you with a little bit of aid. So because the Kurds don't have their own country, then the Kurds in each individual country have to some degree had to develop relationships with foreign powers in order to survive, and that has exasperated rivalries between them. Is there a Christian population at stake here with this decision? Tell us about that. uh, Yeah, I've obsessively watched commentary on TV, internet, everywhere about this issue of the Turks going into northeastern Syria. None have mentioned what I'm about to tell you, and it's an important fact, and you'll understand why I'm frustrated. 100,000 Christians live in this area where the Kurds are that Turkey wants to essentially obliterate in northeastern Syria. Most of these Christians are actually pro-Kurdish because they've lived under them and they appreciate their treatment and protection. And in fact, there's actually a Christian unit within the Kurdish-led forces. So they fight alongside each other. And then, of course, there's other Christians that don't like the Kurds, and, and those divisions exist. But in this area that Turkey is about to attack, you do have 100,000 Christians now in danger. And it's very clear from what Turkey has said publicly that the Christians who have allied with the Kurds are terrorists to Erdogan, who himself is a terrorist. But So he's engaging some projection there. 
I'm glad you went there with the the Turkish leader. I, I described him to our audience, and you tell me you're the expert here. You know, I'm I'm a guy that I I read and study work people like you do, and and try to incorporate it into a way to give the the most intelligent analysis to my audience that I possibly can. And and I described Erwin in 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 Turkey as he is to the caliphate what the Vegas Strip was to the mob. That the mob realized 50, 60 years ago that uh, they could essentially go legit with the Vegas Strip as a front. And if they brought in Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra a couple times a year and you had flamingo dancers and great buffets, you know, people are going to be far more sympathetic to mob rule than they would have been when, uh, when Lucky Luciano was just, you know, uh, busting caps in people's temples out there in the streets of Brooklyn. Okay, and that's what I view the the Turkish leader as. I mean, you got the Italian suit there and everything else that looks great, but in many respects, um, he's got caliphate dreams, and and his way of realizing them is to corporatize them to make it look like it's legit, like it's a legit place to do business, it's legit, cor- you know, profiteering things of that nature. But the end goal of Islamism is still the same. Is that a fair analogy, Ryan? Yes, actually, they have a word for all of that. It's called gradualism. It's an official Muslim Brotherhood doctrine. Erdogan is part of the Muslim Brotherhood. So when Erdogan is acting as Trump's top advisor on Syria, which is basically how he's functioning right now, that is the Muslim Brotherhood advising Trump. But people have to understand that. And I've described Erdogan as the slickest, most effective jihadist we have faced since 9-11. Because something goes on with these phone calls where he's able to build these personal relationships with each American president, Bush, Obama, and definitely Trump, that makes them feel endearing towards him. And Trump has had a business relationship going back years with it, within Turkey and embracing Erdogan. So I guess that relationship started being built. And then as a result, uh, that's someone who Trump feels personally connected to. And he's all about those personal connections. One other point I would make is that Turkey did assist the rise of ISIS and also al-Qaeda-linked proxies within Syria, a whole, a whole group of terrorist groups. And if ISIS makes a comeback, understand that that is how their end times prophecies that they claim they are fulfilling are fulfilled. We could be fulfilling ISIS's end times prophecies for them. And if you thought it was bad before when they had a wave of recruitment across the earth because of their success, you just wait until that comeback happens. Is this even a full pullout of Syria, or is it just this particular? Like, I, I'll just tell you, and I, 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 and I know you and I are going to disagree on this somewhere here, and I'm okay sure. with that. I am, I'm done with. We are the perpetual mall cop of Muslim countries. I'm, I'm out. I'm done. Now, I'm not a non-interventionist. I'm a non-suck. That's what I am. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm a non-losingist. I don't like losing. And, and, and what I don't understand is. Let's just have guys stand around in Mosul and wait for IEDs to go off in year 19. But now we're going to pull out and abandon the one ally that has been, I mean, in various forms of sectarian forms. The Kurds have been our ally longer than my producer Aaron has been alive. They have been on our side, really going back to the first Gulf War here. This is three decades. So I, I, I might even support this on some level. If we were like, just if this was part of like a unilateral, we're done here. If you guys, this this region of the world has been an armpit eons before the U.S. ever showed up. If you guys can't be adults and have fun destroying each other, not our problem. But this seems like it's not really that, that we're actually just abandoning this particular group of allies 
but we're but we're otherwise just kind of still messing around in, in in this part of the world like we already were before. Am I wrong on that? No, you're not wrong. In fact, I think I agree with your sentiment more than uh, you may anticipate. Um, because I'm frustrated as well, and I've advocated for largely replacing um, our military role with our very creative soft power that seems to never be utilized. I mean, it's an ideological war. Fight an ideological war. Mm-hmm. That's not uh, always done just with the military and nation building and things like that. That being said, um, there I do have moral qualms with leaving the Kurds who have amazingly stuck by us and the Israelis this long with how many times they've been betrayed, and we've given them uh, nothing. The we've they, we've given the them nothing back for this, Ryan. They, they they have fought with alongside of it. We've not given them a homeland. We 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 have we have in the end given in to Turkey, who doesn't like these people for for three decades. Yeah. Uh, that is my concern. Is what signal is this? I would argue the Kurds have been a better ally of the United States than the French have been for the last three decades. Yes. I would argue yes. they've been a better ally than any 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 group I can think of, other than the Brits, the last three decades. I'm worried what kind of message does it send that this is this is now it just seems like a weird spot to finally make your 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 withdrawal play. Let me let me, let me start with the one group of people that have shown they're willing to die for allied U.S. interests and just turn them over to be chattel uh, to the Turkish uh, caliphate who's been trying to snuff them out for decades. I, that just seems like a weird place to, to, to make your your withdrawal sta- stand. Uh, I agree, and here's how I would put it. The key to a successful non-interventionist policy or a minimally interventionist policy is the success of the Kurds. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't have to go in and send in 200,000 troops to fight ISIS. We would have had to if it wasn't for the Kurds and the allies that they helped even vet for us, Arabs and Christians even, that they helped arm. We minimally armed them to succeed, by the way, and they still did. So to me... This is just fostering more war and more prolonged military engagement because the key for us pulling out is for our allies to be empowered and to play that role for us, just like they did in this war against ISIS, that now they are going and now they're going to be less able or completely unable to do so. The Kurds have openly said that their forces are stretched right now and they're not going to be able to fight ISIS or keep those prison camps for the ISIS fighters together if they're trying to survive against Turkey. And you better believe that when Turkey goes in, it's not going to be like these precision, humane strikes. They want to destroy the Kurds as a people. Ryan Morrow is here with us uh, from the Clarion Project. You mentioned, Erwin, what, what is our benefit? What, what, did, what are we doing this for? What are, what, what's, what's in this for the American people? What are we getting out of this? Honestly, I think it comes down mostly to business interests and the stubborn status quo thinking. Turkey's a member of NATO, and you have people that have worked in the U.S. government for a long time valuing that relationship, and it's very hard to make people break away from that. I mean, everyone's been in power since 2002, Mm -hmm. and only until about now people uh, who have been in government and have advocated the U.S.-Turkey relationship are actually realizing, oh, maybe we need to reverse course here. A lot of people cite the fact that we have a base there. Guess what? We put a man on the moon. We can move our military base. I don't think we should allow Erdogan to use our base and our troops as hostages against us, especially when that base was is partially there to protect Turkey. No way that you're going to use our military against us like that. No way. Ryan, I know you've spent a lot of time in that region of the country. I know you've actually tried to, you know, not just give us the uh, the 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 uh, John McCain freedom fighter 
Well, you know, you're, you've actually spent time vetting, you know, uh, these groups and who's, who are legit resistance fighters who are, um, you know, uh, who are groups that are really just, you know, Islamist infiltration cells or, or groups that are being infiltrated by Islamists and things of that nature. What, what is the, what's the message that is sent? And, and maybe the Middle East likes the Turks more than the Kurds. So maybe we're offended by it, but maybe the, that part of the world will look at it differently. I don't know. What is the message, though, that is sent that our repayment to these people for fighting and dying alongside of us to, to greatly diminish the, the forces of, 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 of ISIS is to turn them over uh, to, to be the you know, target practice for the Turks? What, what, what's the message that that sends for for other alliances, real sustainable alliances that we're trying to cultivate in that part of the world. Cause if, if you know, a 30 some odd year sectarian alliance or various alliance with sectarian versions of, of the Kurdish culture, if that's not a long-term alliance that we can make work, then tell me which one we can, Brian. Basically it means that no one globally, not just Middle East is going to be willing to trust us for at least one generation, probably two. Because these betrayals add up. It makes us look incredibly weak because we could stop this Turkish attack on the Kurds, not even militarily. If we just said, don't do it and threaten them with sanctions, it wouldn't happen. So we look weak, hypocritical. The myth that basically we are controlled entirely by poisonous international businesses, which is a big myth around the world, that becomes vindicated that we only care about ourselves in the ideological war between uh, the West, Western ideology and radical Islam, communism, every other ideology, we suffer a decisive loss. People have to understand that there are ideological conflicts going on around here. And when you do things like this, it makes our ideology much less appealing. And therefore, other ideologies gain traction because people have to believe in something, something that to organize their societies around. And they will look at the United States and say, that is not something attractive to me. Do you view the president <laughs> saying over Twitter yesterday that if Turkey does what we all assume they're going to try to do, he'll wreck their economy? Do you view that as sort of the sanctions threat that you're calling for in a way? No, because I think that, I think Trump is erratic, inconsistent and impulsive. Uh, there is no consistency in what he says. And if you really felt that way, we wouldn't have these press statements uh, going out, basically giving approval to the Turks to do this. None of those statements actually said, Turkey, don't do this. It's accepting that they're going to and not even throwing in a token condemnation of it to try to stop it. So and, and by the way, we recently just had an agreement with Turkey that led to us working with them to destroy some of the defensive fortifications for the Kurds. That's how we had we tried to stall this attack from Turkey on the Kurds. It's like, okay, we'll come up with an agreement for you. Uh, let's work with you and we'll destroy some of these defensive fortifications that the Kurds have that you don't like. We'll set up a safe zone, blah, blah, blah. Y yeah, you know what Erdogan did? He said, yeah, go do that for me and then I'm going to attack anyway. And Trump got out, got some of our forces out of the way. The final thing I want our audience to understand is here in here in the West, you know, and it's it's more complicated than this, but there's essentially two belief systems clashing for cultural hegemony right now. You have the, the leftist progressive view and you have some people within that that are full-fledged Marxists, some people that might just be kind of more liberal or statists, just more secular-minded. And then you have, you know, traditionalists. Uh, these could be people that believe in a Judeo-Christian ethic. Um, maybe they're just libertarians. But, but the lines are pretty clearly drawn 
you tend to fall into one of those camps, even if within those camps, there's there's divisions on, uh, ideologically, but the aims that each camp wants. You know, one wants to conserve uh, Western civilization. The other one wants to remake it. Those lines are fairly clearly drawn in the West. In this part of the world, I don't think our audience understands those lines aren't really clearly drawn at all because our news coverage sees it as the West versus Islam. Really, but but again... Iran's not even an Arab country. The Saudis would hate the Iranians even if we weren't, and vice versa, even if we weren't selling them military wares. All right, there's a whole, that's a cultural rivalry between Persians and Farsis and Arabs that goes back eons, right? Uh, Sunnis and Shias, and then the, the divisions within that. And so what you have here is one of the one of the things that has governed this part of the world have been authoritarian regimes like the Assads in Syria. And that's why you're going to get groups of, you're going to get uh, a witch's brew of, of alliances of people to push back on that authoritarian regime who may not even agree on what the future should look like once they do. But, but this is, you know, if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with, kind of an alliance right now, right? Like Marxist and Christians within the Kurdish forces, you know, against ISIS, for example. The reason why I think this is particularly damaging is because these ideologies and sectarian differences are so frayed and they and they're so they're they're so voluminous that if we set the stage for we will abandon you if you fight with us why wouldn't these people listen to Hezbollah or Hamas the next time they come and say hey we're the ones that are going to fight Assad this time Right. We're going to fight the authoritarians this side. Don't trust the Americans. Look what they did to the Kurds in Syria. You know, and they never did give they never did help the Kurds in northern Iraq either. You want to fight alongside the true freedom fighters here with Al Qaeda, Hamas, Hezbollah, that these become recruitment talking points. Am I wrong on that? No, you're not wrong, because there is fundamentally just a matter of survival where you'll have people who. Uh, sort of like the Christians in Lebanon, um, even the Christians in Iraq who have allied with Iranian-linked militias, just out of survival, some of that will happen. Uh, but then in addition to that, a lot of these allegiances and ideologies are in flux. There is a conflict of ideas that happens within the Middle East where people are trying to identify uh, what they're going to follow, especially as, with all the protests going on. So it's a region that's changing, and it, it's an open question as to which ideology is going to seem most credible most reliant and the best way to move forward. So whichever one is seen as most successful and in their mind, uh, most moral and best for their own protection is the one that wins. And there have been many times in recent years where I started thinking, you know, what, our ideology is going to win. But then there will be some moment where we do something stupid like this that then sets us back. And I've got to say, this to me is worse than the Iran deal and definitely equivalent to Obama's mm. withdrawal from Iraq. Wow. Worse than the Iran deal. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let our audience know I've interviewed Ryan for seven, eight years on this show. You are not prone to uh, hot takes. All right. So right. when I hear you drop a dime like that, that gets my attention. Good, good to see you again, my friend. Thanks for joining us here on The Blaze. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. It's Ryan Morrow from The Clarion Project. If you want to take advantage of a booming real estate market right now and plunging mortgage rates, good timing, especially with winter coming. You know, people could be desperate to buy or sell, depending on which side of the equation you're going in on. Uh, but before you do, make sure you've got a real estate agent that you can trust. All right. And and here's where you, you go and find them. You go to a place where it's not about finding clients for agents. It's not a referral service, but a vetting process. 
That's realestateagentsitrust.com, where they're not looking to find clients for agents, but looking to help you, the client, find an agent worthy of representing you. Someone whose track record has been proven and vetted, otherwise they wouldn't be listed. Someone whose understanding of what a marketing plan entails, more than just having open houses, is proven and vetted, otherwise they wouldn't be listed. Somebody who knows what the term professional courtesy means. They return calls. They keep their word, all right? If you're looking for those three things, and if you're not, I wouldn't go into the real estate market, okay? But if you are, Go to realestateagentsitrust.com. That's where you're going to find an agent that you can trust at realestateagentsitrust.com. Gentlemen, the conversation we just had with Ryan Morrow, you guys were sitting and uh, attentively listening. What do you think? I don't think there's anything uniquely Trumpian about this at all. While uh, I'm listening to that conversation, I'm thinking of... uh, Cold War, I'm thinking of Southeast Asia, I'm thinking of the Middle East. I, I think uh, these guys just, generation after generation, they all so desperately want to solve a problem that can't be solved from their chair. But that it's the President of the United States, so I, I, we've been thinking only I can solve forever about this kind of stuff. So we get involved and we start moving all these pieces around. Uh, and we don't really, tr- and we get involved in relationships, you know, again, how many, uh, th- this seems to be the guy, this seems to be the dictator who can Doesn't call Doesn't it seem like Erwin is kind of selling American presidents on, I'm the guy that can tame this region of the world but so you can get out, right? We've seen that He's in Southeast that- Asia. We've yeah. seen that in the Middle East. I mean, yep. this is this is a tale as old as time and not Trump wants to try it on for size. I mean, I don't, it's just not, it, it, even if it's uh, bad, it, and I think uh, most signs point to that. It, the, one thing, I don't, it, it's going to, like everything else, somehow this is uniquely Trumpian. It's not. This is a tale as old as time. Todd, that is an incredibly good observation, I think, uh, because that is absolutely true. And the, the sentence that kind of sealed that is what Ryan uh, said at the very end of the conversation. This may be worse than the Iran deal. And, and here's what happens along the lines of what Todd was saying. He, here's what I think has happened with American foreign policy. Yes, we talk about this, and Lord knows I've talked about it multiple times. Um, we are the, the people who run our service academies, uh, who teach the classes where our generals are trained, they, for the most part, are trained uh, and have probably gone to the same schools, the leftist schools and universities, and are probably training the same type of people to do that. All that is to say, a lot of the times, they have a progressive root view of how the world works. I think another thing that's that that's happened and continues to happen and it has for decades is that the United States and the military know who they are or at least what they are the most advanced and powerful fighting force on the face of the planet and that the face of the planet has ever seen you know what happens with human nature? I think this is hap- I think this happens anytime. What happens with human nature is when you have a tool that is the best tool in the world or the best tool amongst your your peers, the best arsenal of missiles, the best fighting forces, the best the, the most advanced technology. You start to think, you know what? We can just rely on that. We'll just kind of revert back to that. That's kind of our big stick in all of this. And you know what you do? You stop thinking. It's, or at least it's easier to stop thinking things through and just keep reverting. But well, you know what? We've got the big stick in our back pocket. We really don't have to take this seriously. We really don't have to think this through this time. What happens is you're the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, 
the other night. And I could see this happening. It's nothing new, but I could see the offense. You know what? We're the freaking Kansas City Chiefs. We got Patrick Mahomes. Well, you know what? We're gonna we can put up points at will. We don't have to do anything at all because we're we're, we're the freaking Chiefs. We score twenty six points at least twenty six points a game. You start to get lazy, and then all of a sudden, oh crap! We put up thirteen points, and the the, the Colts just completely dominated us. You see where I'm going with that? Mm-hmm. You keep relying on the big stick in your back pocket, and you stop thinking. At some point, you got to go out there and actually understand what the other team is doing and say, okay, they're playing us press physical man coverage. What do we do to beat that? We never do that with our foreign policy. I, I th- and now, you know, I mentioned earlier, you're seeing, and Pat Robertson, of course, is, 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 is a joke and a lightning rod of a name, but now you're seeing why Mike Huckabee and several others, Joe Rosenberg uh, have come out and, and said, this is a, not a good decision by the president. When you look at a hundred thousand Christians are in this region of the world, uh, that uh, we're handing over to the Turks. But, and, and I've tried my best over the years not to make my faith a flashpoint for what I think our foreign policy goals ought to be. I mean, the United States military is not an uh, onward Christian soldier, okay? It's not. That's why my main concern about this, and I thought the most important thing Ryan said, is that if you really want to have a less interventionist policy, you have to cultivate some real allies. Well, I, tell me who's more of an ally than a group of people who, even when they're fighting amongst themselves, like you mentioned, this, this essentially the Kurds in Syria are the Democrats, essentially. And the Kurds in northern Iraq are the Republicans, for lack of a better, to, to Americanize it in a way. We're screwed. Okay? But when... when you tell them your reward for fighting and dying alongside of us is we're going to abandon you to a regime that has been essentially attempting to, if not enslave you, eliminate you for a, for a couple of decades. I, I don't know how that's a win. And, and I don't know how, if you're defending that, then I, I just, I don't view you as a patriot. I just don't. I, I, I just think you're a Trump shell. And I think that I think the president should strongly reconsider. There's, there's, I can think of six other places to make our initial withdrawal from interventionism stand. All right, that don't involve abandoning the one group of people who's been with us the entire time, the entire time. More in a moment. So how did we become a debtor nation? How did how did we uh, become a welfare state? Why did we ever create a Federal Reserve in the first place? Would you like to get answers to those questions? Well, you should, because the same people responsible for the wrong answers to those questions are the same people responsible for a lot of the cultural rot gut we're pushing up against on our program on a daily basis. And that's where our friends over at Swiss America, that's where they come in. Because, you know, the laws of nature and nature's God actually has more to say about money than even like salvation, redemption, 
freedom, liberty. Um, why? Because a lot of our character as individuals and as a people shine through in the way we handle money and the way that we treat our finances. If you want to learn more about this, all right, you want to get a complimentary copy from our friends at Swiss America of their, of their report and CD. It's called What the Bible Says About Money. And it's going to tell you how we left this, we, we departed from a lot of the financial systems that made this the wealthiest country on earth without any debt. And now we're still the wealthiest country on earth, but we're also one of the most debt-ridden ones at the exact same time. If you want to learn more about this, and then you want to learn as well what you can do to protect your productivity from this system, go to SwissAmerica.com. That's SwissAmerica.com. Or give them a call at 800-289-2646. That's 1-800-289-2646. All right, gentlemen, you ready for some fake news or not? Probably not, but let's do it. And again, just so you guys know, typically nowadays, we don't even bother fact-checking people that aren't interested in the facts uh, that we know going in are interested in defeating us and or lying to us, whichever is necessary at that particular point in time. So we're doing fake news or not based off of platforms and persons who claim to be representing the what's left of America. I've got five clips set aside for the two of you. You will decide, is that fake news or not? And then let us know why. Here's clip number one. I saw an interview over the weekend that said what, you were asked whether or not you would vote for the president. Um, wh- what are you trying to figure out in your own head on that? I'm trying to be open. I mean, you know, our founding fathers gave us a reason-based republic. What I have said over and over again is that I'm a conservative Republican. The default position for me is to vote for President Trump because his issue set is a lot closer than where the Democrats come. So, What do you think? Fake news or not? Uh, I think that's not for him. Let me, let me give you a context. Is that the most effective messaging to primary a sitting president with, do oh, you think? well... No, but this is a guy who, you know, wandered off to Chile with his... I mean, he doesn't know who he is in his own mind, so that was pretty honest right right there. I just think that's about right. You agree, Aaron? I can't add anything more than that. That's exactly where I was going to go. It's not fake news, not because I think he's... uh, Not because I necessarily think he's telling the truth and is just being intellectually honest. It's because he doesn't know who he is. Yeah, when I saw that clip, I was like, then why are you doing this? Exactly. He doesn't know either, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't, then what's the point of all this? Okay. Next clip. That was simple. Why is House Speaker Pelosi refusing to hold a formal impeachment inquiry vote? Well, Chris, let me say this. I would hope, you know, this has been a painful time this past couple of weeks now. I would hope that the White House would cooperate with Congress and actually acknowledge the oversight that we have a responsibility to do. Um, However, there is no requirement under the Constitution that we have a full House vote. There is no requirement under House rules that we have a full House vote. And there is no precedence that we have a full House vote. Fake news or not, Chris Wallace wants to know why... No impeachment vote 
And Congresswoman Demings says, well, we can we don't have to have a vote. We can impeach without a vote. Is that what she was saying? I'm, I, I'm trying to figure. I, I think that's what she was trying to say. No, idea. we can impeach yeah. without a vote. I, I, I think that's what she was she was trying to say. How do you do that? I, <laughs> how do you how do you not know what an Indian and Audi is? I don't I don't know. Maybe it's just a show vote or something. Is that what they're talking about? I I don't I don't know. How well, the it. heck are we supposed to figure deduce this then? Easy for me to say. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was hoping you guys were going to tell me. Yeah. I don't know. Then, then it's not. I don't know. I love I that know. confusion. Then it's not fake news because that's the most that's real part, clip yeah. we've had yet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How about the report that came out last night that they're going to have? They're going to take the uh, anonymous whistleblower offsite. I've heard of this notion of taking people that. You want to interrogate? I'm sorry. Uh, a question off site in order to get the answers you seek. I believe this was known as advanced interrogation. Is there a swinging light bulb in this room yeah. in Afghanistan, right? Can we talk about the Joker again? That makes way more sense than all of this. <laughs> I know, I know. We've got three more. All right. Um, I, I, I'm in, I can't wait to get your reaction to this one. Watch. First of all, I just want to say I love President Donald J. Trump. The media is attacking him, but when they attack him, they are attacking us. When they are attacking Trump, they're really attacking us. I'll let you go first this time, Aaron. Fake That's news or not? Absolutely not fake news. Now, now, I think some people may hear that and say when they're attacking Trump, they're attacking us because we think we're in lockstep. I, I will tell you from the leftist prote- uh, perspective, and this is the easiest observation to make if you've not lived under a rock for more than two seconds since the year 2016, the, the, the media and the left, uh, pardon the redundancy, they really do think that Trump is all of us. He is just a proxy for the rest of us, the what's left of America. And so I do think that that is not fake news um, it, from, from that standpoint. So I, I think that's actually a, a fair observation. Todd? And even for, I don't know, based on the clip, is, is, is the, how broad the us is? Is he speaking specifically for pockets of black America or flyover country? Well, this is specifically a meeting of a, a minority support okay. for the president at the white house. And to that extent, it's also not fixed that, that there are more and more of those people. Now, is it a election swing number of people? But there's, there's enough. You, you said one of the great, just a couple of weeks ago, you said Kanye, you, there's, you know, it turns out that that may be one of the truest news we've come across. And some extent, we thought that was a total farce. I, there are people within that subculture going through this. They're just they're tired and, and they want something else. You know, what Aaron pointed out about how they see us in all in everything, not in as, as part of the left America as the other monolithically is right on the money. I mean, the president would have cut all kinds of terrible deals with Democrats already on Im- and immigration, everything. Mm-hmm. If they, if they, if they would have instead saw him for who he actually is, as opposed to somebody that really represents all of us. Yes. Right. I think there's, I think we've learned in North Korea and all kinds of other places and, and we've seen him offered them terrible deals with his own words. 
at least terrible from a conservative standpoint. And they, if they, they could have gotten all kinds of things out of him, but, but their inability to see him as a singular person, mm-hmm. uh, rather than the, the monolithic leader of a, of a group of uh, people that they view as, you know, too dumb and racist to live is, has prevented them from doing that. Right. Yeah, for sure. I agree. All right. Two more. If I'm working for the Biden campaign, I want Rudy Giuliani out there every day. He is the single best spokesperson for those who want to impeach the president. Every time he opens his mouth, he hurts the president. Look, I... That's former director of communications of the Democratic National Committee, who's now a Fox News contributor, responding to the report uh, last week that uh, the Biden campaign was pressuring cable news networks to stop putting Rudy Giuliani on. And here the former comms guy at DNC is like, are you kidding me? He's the best spokesperson. The Biden campaign, that's flailing right now if you look at all the latest numbers. He's the best spokesperson the Biden campaign has. I'd want Giuliani on TV every night. Is that fake news or not? I, it, it's, uh, it's it, I don't know based on his own personal belief on that, but it's it's absolutely fake news that it that's what Biden wants. Biden is, is was flailing, continues to flail, this is uh, he's been in the spotlight as much as Trump is on this. There, there, there is I, I mean, this guy almost has to lie to say it. So I don't think he actually probably believes what he's saying, but just taking it on its face. It, it's fake news. Aaron, I don't know, guys. I think Rudy Giuliani of all of the all of the people in, in the president's um, circle of trust, he has probably been the most effective uh, communicator of. Actually, no, that's not fake news. <laughs> By the way, Lindsey Graham just announced that uh, he is going to, uh, I guess we call these invites to testify instead of subpoenas now. Um, but he's going to invite Giuliani to testify before the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. There was a theory that was proffered out over the weekend that Giuliani was really not going to Ukraine in order to dig up dirt on Biden for the purposes of, you know, having justice be done, which is the Trumpian explanation, or to to get oppo research on a campaign opponent, which is the Democratic explanation. But because he was trying to cut him and his associates were trying to cut their own business deal over there. Oh yeah, I saw that. And in and then in order and then once it came out, in order to make it not look like what it actually was, that Giuliani was saying that, hey, I was over there trying to get uh you know, uh, weed out corruption. This was all over social media over the weekend as a theory. You guys think that's fake news or not? Uh, um, no, it's not fake news. Uh, terrible people doing terrible things to other terrible th- people terribly. Todd? This is Gotham. This is, I'm. Wouldn't that. I'm devolving into madness hearing that story. <laughs> Wouldn't it just be so... I mean, Glenn's like uncovered this huge network of corruption that we talked about yesterday. He's got it all laid out, right? And the only reason we know about any of it is because not because Rudy Giuliani was going over there to, uh, you know, the former federal prosecutor was not going over there to give him what for, but he was just trying to cut his own Joe and Hunter Biden deal, you know, with the uh, doesn't with, change with any of the corruption, but it just uh, it is 
incredibly ironic. You know, it, it is ironic. I mean, it's it's like it would be the it, it's like the the story of Josiah in the Bible, where like the cleaning crew is at the temple one day cleaning things. They're literally like the cleaning crews there. You know, and they're like, you know, dusting off the altar to the starry hosts and the, you know, and the the the, the relics over here for Pan and for, uh, uh, you know, for uh, Ab- for Abaddon. Yeah. Okay. And then they're all up, of a sudden they, they trip the over attic. this. Yeah. yeah. They they're they're like you know they got the Swiffer out and they trip over this uh, this scroll on the floor and a guy picks it up and he starts like what is this thing and he unrolls it and starts reading it and it's like the it's like the law of Moses. <laughs> He's like, what is this? <laughs> I didn't know this was still around. And he takes it to the king and they're like, oh, yeah, we like totally forgot about this, guys. Wouldn't it be funny if that's how this all came about? Sure. <laughs> I don't know if the audience can figure, see this on, on, the, on, the, on the telly, but here in the studio, that's as broken as you have looked in quite a while. It's really because you made me go see the Joker movie, and now there's a level of context to what I'm watching that's just even more depressing. It makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. I know you've got some final thoughts on Joker. I'm going to let you share those with us here in just a moment. Uh, But first, uh, if you are struggling with chronic pain in the body, this is because you've got too much inflammation. That's where Relief Factor comes in. 100% drug-free, even though it is a formula created by physicians, because they understand the body is not a machine. It's not just an upright vat of randomly evolved chemicals. It's a created organism. And one of the things the creator put in there was the ability to push back on inflammation. And so if, if it's given the right boost and help, there are situations where the body can actually heal internally. And that's where Relief Factor comes in. This is not about prescribing drugs to mitigate pain. This is about helping the body to naturally heal itself from inflammation that's causing that chronic pain. If you want to give this a shot, they're so confident in this product. They offer it for a dollar a day for three weeks. It's called the Starter Kit. I'm a huge fan of Relief Factor. It's part of my daily regimen. If you want to give this a shot, relieffactor.com is the website. Get the starter kit for a buck a day, 20 bucks. That's it. What do you have to lose for a dollar a day? Except maybe finally, hopefully the pain, relieffactor.com. All right, I know there were some final thoughts you guys wanted to express about the Joker movie, you in particular, Todd, as we, which we talked about during Pop Culture Tuesday last hour. And again, spoiler alert, just in case. Go well, ahead. One thing, I didn't get a whiff from you and and... In the past, where I thought uh, departing from comic book lore was interesting, but I don't know that much about it, it's irritated you in some ways, the Mandarin and things like that. I, but I don't get a whiff of this from you. I think it's we. I mean, I, if they turned him into the Joker in this movie, we were all concerned about that based on the second trailer into some sort of hero. Yeah, uh, we would have been irritated, but that yep. didn't happen. He's yeah. absolutely not a hero in this movie. But what he really is, and it happened. I'm not bothered to the way they told it. He he is a victim over and over again in his life. He's a victim. He, there there was a kind and decent heart there for a lot of his life, and he tried to fight as hard as he could, and finally he absolutely broke. They told that story. He's a legitimate victim in this movie, and it didn't bother me at all. No, because the. He is a victim, but they didn't make it look as if that's why he's an antihero instead of a villain. Okay. He becomes a villain by giving over to all of what what beguiles him. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, 
you know, I don't have a problem with tinkering with origins here and there, you know, I mean, and there's references to other versions of the Joker. You know, you go back to the 1989 Batman movie where he's Jack Napier as who kills Bruce Wayne's parents, right? Well, it's, it's you know, it's um, um, Joe Chill in the, in mm-hmm. the comics as well. Is, but so they did that in 1989 in the Tim Burton movie. And there's a loose, you know, mm-hmm. reference to that in this movie. Um, the idea that... Um, He's a uh, a failed stand up comic. When they have kind of given some of the Joker's backstory, very in the comics, that is that is one of the things that they have mentioned in the comic books is that he was a failed stand up comic. So I don't have a problem, you know, with updating things or, twer- or or tweaking things. What I have a problem with is postmodernizing things. And what's bothered me about what Marvel has done with its villains is it's postmodernized too many of them. All right, the idea that evil cannot be a singularity, but it must be a sympathetic figure on some level, okay? And that's what they did with the Mandarin, okay? Um, and that's what's irritated me when they've done that before. Uh, but, but in this case, I, I didn't have a problem with it because there's really not a defined Joker origin. You know, there's, was he a member of the Red Hood gang? You know, they've, they've alluded to things in the past, but they've, as far as I know, they've never given us a defined origin for him. But you're right. At no point is he an antihero in this film. And, and that's why I think the best line in the film is when he says, I don't believe in anything because that's making it, that's the filmmakers making it as plain as they possibly can. He is not a vir- this is not a virtuous act. This is not a virtuous enterprise. This is a road to nowhere. Not portrayed sympathetically. Yes. He's portrayed pathetically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's very well said. That's Aaron. it. Yeah, I think that I think that absolutely nails it. And I think it's the final act that I think really brings all of this, all of it home. And I think that's why some folks on the left who actually saw the movie for what it was probably were getting uncomfortable with the film as it went on. But then when they saw the Joker's minions holding up the resist signs, that was probably the tap out signal where they realized, holy crap, we're the ones getting trolled here. Yeah, you are. All right, we'll come back tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. For Blaze TV subscribers, we're going to stick around and tape you a little overtime on Elizabeth Warren's latest faux pas. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.